Colossians chapter 1, beginning at verse 15. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Rachel, if I could invite you up and maybe I'll just say a quick prayer for you as you begin. Father, we thank you so much uh, for this passage. We thank you for Rachel and the insights that you've given her. And we pray that as she opens up the scriptures for us, you would speak to us by your Holy Spirit, uh, that we may know you better. In your name, amen. Probably not. Let me just... Okay, I think I'm on now. Um, Good afternoon. It's lovely to um, see everybody. I'm just going to tuck myself in. Okay. So it's lovely to be back here um, again this afternoon. Um, And when Jez um, gave me this passage, which I think probably most of you who've been around for the last few weeks know, this is week three out of four on the message of the cross as we lead up to Easter. Um, and Jess says, oh, you can do the week on reconciliation. Um, he gave John the week on the temple and sacrifice, so I figured that I must have done something good um, to get a slightly easier one. And then I looked at the passage that he gave me in Colossians 1, and I realized it wasn't quite that simple. So, um, yeah, a really, really challenging passage, but a beautiful passage um, to look at, um, which we'll go through this afternoon. So make sure you have your Bibles open, because we'll keep um, referring back. Now, the words here are probably a hymn that Paul has inserted into the letter at this point. Um, But whatever the point was that um, Paul was trying to make, what he did want uh, the Colossian Christians to know was that he wanted them to know Jesus better. He wanted them to understand who Jesus is and what he's done for them. And in doing so, he hoped then that they would um, learn to love him and live for him better. And that's my prayer for us this afternoon, really, as well, that as we look at this passage, we'll just see more of Jesus. Now, in this passage, Paul wants to remind us that being a Christian isn't about being religious. It's not about a particular system of how to be saved or how to be holy. 
And to understand the message of reconciliation in Colossians, in chapter 1 here, we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at who Jesus is. We can understand who he is. We need to understand what he's done for us through the cross. And thirdly, we need to understand how it should affect our lives. So firstly, who is Jesus? Verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God. Now, I don't know whether anybody watches Taskmaster here. Um, it's quite an interesting TV program where you have five celebrities doing... Somebody does good, that's a relief. <laughs> um, so uh, five comedians are set quite interesting tasks, quite bizarre tasks sometimes, and it's really uh, fascinating to see um, how they um, negotiate these tasks. Um, Hugh Dennis, um, the actor and comedian, always has a slightly um, different way of approaching these tasks. And there was one week where they had to draw somebody um, without looking at them. So the person was behind a curtain, they just had to ask them questions, um, and then they had to try and draw um, what the person said they looked like. Well, Hugh Dennis decided to get out a mirror, and he put his mirror up, um, unveiled the person, and then drew what he saw. Now, he said um, that he had completed the task fine, that the mirror image wasn't actually the person at all. And while he was commended for being um, quite ingenious, he was disqualified. Because, of course, a good mirror image of someone is a perfect reflection of the actual person. Now, this might be a really poor example, um, but I hope it helps us slightly with what is being taught here. The sun is the image of the invisible God. Paul explains that Jesus is the mirror image of the God who we can't usually see. With Jesus, we find ourselves looking at the true God. The very nature and character of God have been perfectly revealed in Jesus. And so Paul then goes on to explain that if Jesus is the image of the true God, it also means that he is the one through the whole of creation was made. Verse 16 says, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. All things have been created through him and for him. And verse 17, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So Paul wants us to understand that Jesus the Son is not merely part of creation, but with the Father and Spirit, he is also the creator and the one who sustains the universe. Without him, all would fall apart. So whether we acknowledge Jesus Christ or not, the whole world is indebted to Jesus as creator and sustainer. Creation was his idea, his workmanship, his lavish gift of beauty. When the world makes you catch your breath because of its beauty, remember that it's like this because of Jesus. So that's firstly, this is who Jesus is. But we know that the world is also full of ugliness and pain and hurt and division and alienation. And the point of this hymn is to remind us that just as in Jesus all was created, so in Jesus all will be healed. And this is our second point, what Jesus has done. Verse 15 says, he's the firstborn or the head over all creation. And then first eight, verse 18 says, he is the firstborn or the head from those um, beyond the dead. 
In him comes creation, in him comes healing, and in him comes resurrection life. Now in this passage, Paul doesn't explain in detail exactly how it happens, but he declares that the healing that the cross brings is by reconciliation. Reconciliation, to bring enemies into a state of friendship, to overcome alienation, to create affinity, to heal broken relationships. Reconciliation is the word that we often use when family members haven't been speaking for years and they come back together again. Or the breaking down of divisions between different peoples or different cultures, different races or different nations. And how often do we have this need for reconciliation in our own lives? How often do we all struggle with relationships? And as I spend increasing amount of time with teenagers, I realize that even if our friends choose their friends wisely, teenagers are very good. They have a real skill at alienating each other um, in the classrooms and unfortunately these days, um, increasingly through social media. I realize more and more that if our children can handle relationships now with love and integrity, it will set them up for life because actually our lives are full of very difficult, broken relationships. Even the best and the easiest of marriages or families are not perfect. There are still tensions or misunderstandings. There's still alienation. And I expect most in our society will have a sense of alienation in our modern culture. Maybe some will be aware of an alienation spiritually. Some may even acknowledge that this is alienation from our creator God. And the fact that we're separated from the one who created us isn't a moralistic judgment. It's a statement of fact. It's a theological statement. And it's not like we're on a continuum where some are closer to God than others, depending on how good you are. We either are separated or we aren't separated. It's not a sitting on the fence sort of decision. We're one side of it or the other. Now, one way us humans often like to deal with um, this sort of problem is um, trying to work it out by ourselves. Perhaps on a larger scale, we try to revolutionize our societies. On an individual scale, if we and others believe in ourselves enough, and we believe in our own resources, but this is often just patching up the problem. Reconciliation is about dealing with the cause of the brokenness. It's often tough and costly. And this passage here in Colossians indicates that there's something much greater, cosmic, in fact, about this need for reconciliation. And it's far more costly than we could ever imagine. We can't just apologize with a hasty word, make what payment we think is appropriate, or reorganize our societies. This is not something that can be overcome by human effort. Far more costly surgery is required. And this is why Paul starts with creation. There is a cosmic dimension to the work of Christ. The act of creation is a cosmic affair, but there's also a cosmic dimension to the act, with the act of the cross. The unity and harmony of the whole cosmos has suffered a rupture, and reconciliation of the whole universe is needed. Now, if you look at verse 20 and 22, you'll realize that one of the important things to note is that it's God who reconciles. In verse 20, it says, through him to reconcile to himself. And verse 22 says, 
but now he has reconciled you. This isn't a mutual reconciliation. God is the one reconciling, not us. Reconciliation is something we receive from God. It's his gift to us. God doesn't have any need of reconciliation. It's not that God has done anything wrong, it's us. We're the ones who have brought pain and division into our world. We're the ones who have turned our backs on God, the ones who are actively opposed to his love and care, thinking we can make it on our own. We're the ones who have sinned and the ones described here as enemies of God. And the Bible describes many ways or many words of how we are meant to be put right, and it describes it in the way that we need to be washed, cleansed, forgiven, blameless, purified like gold in a furnace. And here in verse 22, it says, without blemish and free from accusation. So how do we get to this state? This is now to the method of this reconciliation. How did God deal with our enmity towards him, our sin and our fallen nature? And Colossians 1, it says, at an incredible price, a price beyond all comparison. This reconciliation was purchased by the cross, by the death of the Son. The Son who is with the Father and the Spirit in the beginning. The Son who created the world with the Father and the Spirit. There's no third party involved in this reconciliation. It's not God reconciling from afar. He is present and actively involved in this reconciliation through the Son. Jesus is the place where God and humanity meet, where we're brought together. There are no other means needed to achieve this. Reconciliation is finished in Christ. The great cost is the blood of Christ, the blood which has brought us forgiveness and peace. Verse 20 says, Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So peace is the result of the cross. And the way scripture understands this peace is much, much richer and deeper than we think about peace. It's not so much the absence of hostility, but it's the presence of positive harmony. It's not so much the absence of wrong relationships, but it's the presence of a positive, right relationship. It indicates the whole overthrowing of evil and the sense of complete wholeness. God's peace stands for the salvation, all the benefits of salvation that we find in Christ. It's life that we've never known before. Now, because reconciliation brings to mind, often brings to mind a very familial type of relationship, and God is often referred to as our father, Paul sometimes refers to our new relationship as adoption into God's family. It's like we've been living on the streets, and we've been invited to live in the king's palace, but not just to call him king, to call him father as his adopted sons and daughters. And probably the most memorable story or picture of reconciliation that Jesus uses is the parable of the prodigal son. And the artist, Charlie Mackesy, he created a beautiful image of this story, both in artwork of the prodigal son, but also of the prodigal daughter, which we see here. And the body language of the two, I think, is amazing. Look at the total embrace of the father. 
and look at how his daughter is just completely slumped in his arms. Everything about that embrace is the father um, enveloping his daughter, his child, in his arms. She's been swept up and carried. And the image says, this is the story of the prodigal daughter. It really should be called the running father who waited every day for his girl to return. The girl who had rejected him so badly. And finally, when he saw her from a long way off, her father ran to her and hugged her and kissed her. Now the reason I've put up the image of the prodigal daughter is that I have two daughters and I bought this image to put in our hallway because every time my daughters walk into our home, I want them to remember that this is how God their father loves them. It's a beautiful description of how passionate God loves us. His love which reaches out to us in reconciliation and never changes. It's not a God that needs to be brought back, it's us that needs to be brought back. But I don't expect that this prodigal son, once he was welcomed home, decided that he could sit back and just expect his father to wait on him. I doubt he thought that would be an appropriate response to his father's reconciliation. And I'm sure that this son would have started working for his father again, in grateful appreciation of being welcomed home, uh, as a response to his father's great love for him, and in response of his own love. And so this brings us on to the third point, and what our response should be. And if we look in verse 23, it says, If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. There's an expectation that we continue in the faith. It's an indication that our faith is real. And in his second letter to the Corinthians, Paul tells us that part of this response is to be involved in the ministry of reconciliation. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, it says, God has done it all. He sent Christ to make peace between himself and us. And he has given us the work of making peace between himself and others. What we mean is that God was in Christ offering peace and forgiveness to the people of this world. And he has given us the work of sharing his message about peace. We were sent to speak for Christ and God is begging you to listen to our message. We speak for Christ and sincerely ask you to make peace with God. If we know what it is to have peace with our creator God, we will want to tell others. But we're not just to preach reconciliation, we're to model it as Christ's church to the world. If we're divided amongst ourselves, what does this say to the watching world? Now, during our last session of Youth Alpha this week, we were looking at the question of what the church is for. Now, you can imagine the teenagers had some really great responses and interesting ones. Um, but at the end of the film, Pope Francis spoke, and I think it certainly, well, it certainly challenged me, and I think it um, spoke to quite a few of the teenagers there. And Pope Francis said, division is a wound in the body of Christ, in the body of the church of Christ, and we do not want this wound to remain open. Despite our differences, we are one. There can be no room for any sense of superiority or inferiority in the Church of Christ, whether it's among ethnic, cultural, or denominational, or any other grounds. There's to be no division. And Jesus' prayer 
in John 17 was exactly, exactly this for his church. He said, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me. And when we're united, we will be more effective in bringing the healing of Christ into the world. So we're to be agents of reconciliation. And in verse 22, it says that we're to be made holy in his sight. We're to live holy lives. And not just some abstract concept, an idea that we have to be clean and out of touch. Um, instead, it's very, the very opposite of the way that the world often thinks about the word holiness. Jesus, as the one true holy person, got his hands dirty. He was passionate about reconciliation in his world. He valued those deemed unacceptable in society. Jesus ate meals with the biggest, those considered the biggest sinners of the day. He went out of his way to meet and speak with those on the edge of society. He healed those who were seen as unclean. And he didn't just heal lepers, but he chose to touch them. And if we can be at peace with God, then the expectation is that there can also be peace with the rest of humanity and with the rest of creation. If sin can bring alienation at every level, then the cross of Christ can bring reconciliation at every level too. So going back to the cosmic element of this passage, Paul ends these few verses in verse 23 by explaining that the gospel of reconciliation has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. In the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's like a kind of spiritual shockwave ran through the whole universe. No one had gone down into death before and come up again on the other side. The cross is the means by which God brings the whole of his creation into peace and harmony. So this is why when we think about the cross of Christ, we have to think about creation as well as salvation. We think about victory as well as forgiveness. We think about healing as well as reconciliation. And not just for ourselves, but for the whole world. So it's why Christians have been involved in the, flight, in the fight um, against slavery, both in the past but again today. Christians who are involved in the work for the environment. Christians who pray and actively are involved in reconciliation between nations, but also between neighbors and friends and family. And Christians who will actively live and speak about their faith because they want others to become part of God's family. When one of us hears and believes and responds to the cross of Christ, it's a cosmic event. Something happens within the new creation. This is the kingdom of God coming amongst us. And when we're reconciled to God, he invites us to become part of this cosmic act of reconciliation too. God's vision is much bigger than ours. His vision is vast and he asks for ours to be huge too. And God the Holy Spirit can enable us to not just pray, but to act out those words we read earlier or prayed earlier. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. The bitterness of alienation can be transformed through reconciliation. God offers us forgiveness and a new start. When we reconcile to him through the blood of Jesus, our lives are changed forever. And so as we end, if you've never accepted God's offer of forgiveness, then tonight is a really good time to say I'm sorry and yes to God.
and for those of us who have known the wonderful uh, healing and forgiveness and reconciliation of God. This passage is a wonderful reminder of the amazing extent of his love for us and also the challenge of being part of this ministry of reconciliation. And my final words, God wants us to acknowledge that we are alienated from him, but also to, to rejoice in the fact that he values us, that he thinks that we are worth bothering about, and that he has paid the absolute ultimate price for. So he invites us to respond and look at Jesus' death on the cross for us, to be reconciled to him, and to extend the same hand of reconciliation and affirming love to the world around us. And we're going to spend a few moments just reflecting and in prayer about this passage. So let's take some time just to be quiet and perhaps pray in our hearts and our leaders with a few words to help us. Is today the day when you say, I'm sorry and yes to God for the first time? Take time to do so now. Is today the day when you recommit to living for God in response of his generous love for you? Is there a relationship where God is longing for you to extend the gift of reconciliation? Pray for strength to do so. Is the Holy Spirit prompting you to speak to someone about the need for them to be reconciled to God? Pray for courage to speak to them. Is God prompting you to consider getting involved with those who are on the edge of society? Pray for the right opportunity to do so. Is God wanting you to think bigger, to catch his vision of his gift of reconciliation? Reconciliation.